This is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic intuitive and medium coming to you from Humboldt County in Northern California. And I'm Judea, a psychic intuitive energy healer from the island of Kauai. And together we're spirit speakers where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Hello and welcome to this new episode. We're super excited today. We are going to be talking with a special guest about a near-death experience. Now, if this is a term that's new to you, what a near-death experience is, is a profound personal experience that's associated with dying. This is where a person not only leaves their body as someone might in, say, an out-of-body experience, but they actually clinically pass away and or sometimes are facing impending death and will have this experience. Now, what's super interesting about this is that they have found that a lot of people that have near-death experiences tend to have similar experiences or there are similar characteristics that happen during this. So it's a super interesting topic and we're excited to dive in. And so, Judah, I'm going to hand it over to you and you can introduce our guest. So we have just a few announcements before we get going on this episode Patty and I are going to be together on two different occasions this June. So June 4th, we're going to be in San Diego and we're going to do a little meet and greet event where Patty will talk about her new children's book that she just put out. And I will be doing a sound bath and it'll be an opportunity for us to meet any of the listeners in the area. So if you're around and you can make it, please join us. If you want more information, you can find it on spiritspeakerspodcast.com. You can also go to our link tree on our Instagram at spiritspeakerspodcast. We will also be together again for a retreat that I'm putting on on June 16th to 19th, and it will be featuring a variety of practitioners and healers and medicine people and artists and musicians, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's on the Trinity Humboldt line so it's a little bit off the beaten path and it's a little bit of a trek to get there it's kind of in the middle of nowhere but it's a beautiful area on the trinity river and the bonus to going is that it's kind of smack in the middle of either the redwood trees so if you've ever wanted to come to northern california and see the redwood trees which are just so magical uh that's south of where this retreat is going to be about an hour and a half south and then two hours east of the retreat is Mount Shasta, which is such an amazing portal site in itself. So if you've ever wanted to kind of go explore this Northern California area, this would be a great pit stop to have a weekend of wellness, seeing and exploring Northern California with a community of amazing people. I have also been in collaboration with women from the Santo Daime lineage, and we have been doing plant medicine retreats. If you would like to know more about that, just reach out to me on alignandshinekawaii.com or on my Instagram at alignandshinekawaii. Send me a message and I'll send you more information on how to find out more about any future plant medicine retreats that I might have coming up. And that's something that I'll be doing fairly regularly and finally there is an amazing retreat to nepal it's a dream come true for me that's going to be happening october 14th to the 29th of 2023 there are still openings for it 
I invite you to apply. It's going to be a beautiful experience. The itinerary is super full with portal sites and meditations and different teachers and all kinds of cool things that we're going to be doing. So if you've ever wanted to explore the mystical, magical, spiritual portal of Nepal, like me, I encourage you to look at what I've put together. As far as like what this entails, it's super affordable for a two week retreat. And I do offer a payment plan. And to me, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So if it's been something on your bucket list, please don't miss out on this. It's going to be amazing. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Our guest today, his name is Vinny Tolman. And he is also an author of a book called The Light After Death, which I haven't read yet, but I'm very excited to. Um, it is definitely on my list of readings that I want to do. But I had the opportunity to listen to your story through another podcaster named David Devora, who is one of our podcast listeners. He's a fan of Spirit Speakers and reached out to me, shared his podcast. And I got to say, he's doing a really top-notch job. <laughs> and I actually ended up guesting on his podcast, which is being released today. So for those of you who are curious or want to see me on video, because that's something you never see, um, you can find David Devora's podcast at David Devora on YouTube. But I saw your story on his podcast and I was just hooked in the second I started listening. Not only that, but I personally, for my own pleasure, go on YouTube to listen to life after death stories because it's so validating for me as a spirit medium. Like I'm always finding key points of validation and some of the things that I see when it comes to what happens to souls when they leave the physical body, right? So of all the stories I've heard, I have to tell you, your story was top tier for me. I was like, this is one of the better afterlife near-death experience stories I've ever heard. And so I am so excited for our audience to be able to hear your testimony of what your personal experience was like. And in addition to that, I told Patty not to listen <laughs> So she's got fresh ears on this one. She's going to have a real-time um, reaction to uh, hearing this incredible experience. So, Vinny Tolman, thank you for joining us on this podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here, and and I didn't know about that connection through David, which is really awesome because David is the gem of a being that he is, and. Uh, so grateful for anybody who's a friend of David is a friend of mine. I mean, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, he truly is a special light. And I'm really grateful to him for linking us up. Um, but I suppose like, I really feel like your story holds so much. So I just want you to just jump in and just tell us the tale, this tremendous story. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I'll start, I'll start real quick on, on just some terminology for anybody who's listening. There's three acronyms that you're going to hear. You're going to hear NDE. NDE is near-death experience. That's someone who like, got up to the edge of death and didn't necessarily cross. Um, then there's STE. STE is spiritually transformative experience. That's somebody who has uh, kind of woken up out of this slumber of the, of the matrix, essentially, that we're all in here, of the virtual reality of this life. And, um, and then there's ADE, which is after death experience. And that's what I had is I actually had a true death and, um, and yeah, I'll go ahead and describe it. Um, I took a, a new supplement, 
a supplement that was fairly popular at the time. I ordered some from online and come to find out what you get from Thailand is not the same stuff as you get from the United States. Uh, who would have thought it, but that's what it was. <laughs> uh, me and a buddy of mine, we both took it. And right off the bat, we felt uh, we felt ill about it. Something was wrong with the supplement, this new version that we got. We went down to a Dairy Queen. Uh, we figured, hey, we'll go get something to eat. Hopefully that'll help us feel better. We didn't feel we were poisoned. We just felt maybe this was a bad batch or something. <clears throat> so we went down to this Dairy Queen. We barely made it there. I, I went running into the bathroom. I felt like I was going to throw up. So I went straight into the bathroom. My buddy goes inside the Dairy Queen, collapsed on one of the booths, and, and actually vomited right there. A manager came out, saw that. He called 911 and actually got uh, emergency services, and, and they took him away, uh, brought him to a hospital. Um, they did you know pump his stomach and, and take care of, of him uh, as a poisoning. They took care of it as a poisoning. For me, though, for me, however, nobody knew I had come in uh, with him. In fact, I had come in before him. And, and meanwhile, I was in the bathroom with a door locked. And nobody knew I was in there. Finally, a customer who kept trying to use the bathroom uh, went to the manager and said, hey, can you let me in? I, you know, uh, this bathroom has been locked for almost an hour. And so for about, about 45, 50 minutes after the ambulance left with my buddy, they discovered my body on the ground and it was my body. I was dead. I had already started to cool. I was not, uh, you know, instantly when you touch a human body and it's not 98 degrees, you feel it instantly. I felt cold to the touch and they still called 911. They called emergency services. Um, they did get a, an ambulance there. This ambulance team was a three man team. There was two veterans and a rookie. And this rookie, the whole time, he was just kind of um, caught up in this turmoil of finding a dead body on his first week of duty. And he felt like it, there was an injustice there. He felt like he wanted to try harder. Uh, but the veteran medics, they tried to resuscitate the body. They, they did like chest compressions. They tried to put this mask device over the face and, and get some air in there, but nothing worked. Um, after only a few minutes, they did uh, pronounce the body as as DOA or dead on arrival. And they they bagged the body up, put it, strapped it real tight to her gurney and and put it in the back of the ambulance. And then they collected statements from from anybody who witnessed anything, including witnessing, you know, the, my buddy come through first and, and get taken away in the ambulance. So um, that medical team, they they waited till they had everyone's statements they, they got all the paperwork collected. And as they pulled away, this is the weird part. I was, I was where I was, I was up above everything. And from my recollection, I went straight from being in my body inside this bathroom and all of a sudden the bathroom spinning and feeling like it was spinning out of control. And then the next thing I knew I was up above and I was looking down but to me, it felt like I was almost sitting in a movie theater and I was watching a movie of everything that was going on below me. And as if I was like a, a movie theater, like you're a movie theater up on the ceiling somehow. It's hard to understand, but that's what it felt like. I'm sitting there watching everything happen. And, and not only am I watching it, I'm hearing every single thought that every single person in that vicinity had. I could hear the thoughts of the, the, the guests in the restaurant 
I could hear the thoughts of the manager, the thoughts of the cook that was in the back. I could hear the thoughts of everyone there. And it was very odd to me that I could hear everyone's thoughts. But the one thing I kept focusing on was the thoughts of this rookie. This rookie kept having this feeling like, hey, why am I not trying harder? Why, why don't I have the courage to speak up? Even though I'm brand new, I should have the courage to speak up to these guys and try harder for this, for this dead guy. I think there's something there. And um, he, he didn't do it, though. He, he just kind of brushed it off. No, you're the new guy. Just sit tight. You're going to learn how this works. And, uh, and he, they pulled away from the scene. As they pulled away from the scene, I actually saw a little light start to glow, almost like someone was holding a flashlight inside the, inside the shirt of this rookie. And this light started to glow around the heart area of this rookie. And as it, it started to glow, it started growing and growing. And it went to, to about the, his, his middle, uh, middle thorax or middle uh, chest area, middle stomach area. And out of nowhere, this very strong voice comes from behind me. And it says, this one's not dead. And he heard it. I know he heard it because the second it was said, he like he kind of like froze. He was just sitting there in, in the fluid motion of life. The car, the, the, the ambulance was moving. In fact, they were pulling out of the parking lot right then. And as that was all happening, he's just kind of moving around. He heard it and he like went rigid and froze. He, then he looked both left and right, like, where'd that come from? And then I, I heard his, his, bra- his consciousness say, that was your imagination, that that was not real. And so he, he kind of brushed it off. This light, it stayed on him. It stayed coming from inside him. And then it started to glow even brighter. And it started getting the brightness of this light coming from his heart area got so bright that it went from above his head all the way to his waist. And, and then for a second time and even louder, I heard where I was, this one's not dead. And the second he heard it, the, the second time, that was enough for him. He didn't need to hear it a third time. He knew, I've got to try something. So the first thing he did, the second he heard it, is he undid the straps that were holding the body on the gurney. He undid the strap around the neck. He undid the strap around the chest. And then he unzipped the body bag and he started feeling all over like the chin and, and the neck area, trying to feel for a pulse. And, and I could feel his repulsion though, because the body was cold and it was covered with vomit. And so it was disgusting to him, but yet he knew he needed to continue to try. Now, after he didn't find any sign of life, uh, of course, in the, in the neck area, he then went under the arm. He didn't find anything there, but what he did find was almost a stiffness, like a hardness to the body at that point. Um, Then he went down to the groin area where there's a big artery and he was feeling um, on the femur bone area when he actually made contact with the bone, the femur bone, he was putting pressure to try to get that artery when he made contact with that femur bone. And as he pushed and made contact with the bone, he, uh, he felt this spark or I did, I felt a spark where I was. And he kind of jumped a little bit, almost as if he felt the spark. And it truly felt like we were both shocked by something. Me up here watching everything and he down there uh, going through the motion of trying to get a, any sign of life. But that whatever that was, it was enough for him to believe that uh, there was something there. there, was, there was, it was warranted to try to resuscitate this body. 
So, you know, at that point, he went ahead and opened up the body bag even further. He, he went in and uh, started putting air, forcing air into the lungs of the body. Then he went and hooked up a, a defib machine. This is a machine that shocks the heart to try to bring the heart back to activity or back into activity. He hooked up this machine. Um, as soon as it started ringing these alarm bells, then the two veteran medics were now, you know, pointed to him and seeing what he's doing really started laying into him, telling him he's going to get fired and, and he's breaking protocol. He better not do this. He'll get fired before he's even been in a month. And, and they were just really going off on him, but it didn't stop him. It didn't even slow him even a, a little bit. He continued with the effort. The first round of shocks with the defib machine, there was nothing still just flat line. No, no activity in the heart. Um, after the second round of shocks, he went for a second round. At the second round, he did get a single heartbeat. And then on the third round of shocks, he got a steady, faint heartbeat. And, and at that point, the body, the heart had started back up on, on itself. And, and, um, and that was a miracle in itself, the fact that he listened. But the other miracle was that when this all happened, they happened to be almost in front of a hospital right when the heart started. It was only a, a half block from a hospital. And they were driving towards it. So they were able to pull right into a hospital and have a trauma team there ready to meet the body and start doing the hard work of bringing all these systems back, back online after they'd been off for so long. So um, that that's miracle number two. And, and, uh, and I watched as all this was going on. I did, what's weird is I didn't feel any of the shocks. So when they were shocking the body, I didn't feel any of that. Um, I was very disconnected from it. I could feel that, that I was somehow prevented from moving far away from the body. And, and until they actually transferred the body from the, the medical gurney onto the hospital bed, until then, I didn't even know it was me. I really didn't. Because me was up here in this theater-type place watching all this play out below me. And as they strapped the body down, the body was going into all all types of seizures and, and convulsions uh, as it was coming back online, the different systems in the body, as they came back online, the it literally was going to a full seizure. And as it was, they, they had to strap the body down to work on it. And as they did this, I didn't feel anything until they got to the left arm. They strapped the right arm, both legs, no problem. They went to strap the left arm and I felt the resistance in me up here where I was. And I looked down where my left arm would be. And what I was looking at was the left arm of the body. And that was the first time I'd known that it was actually me that I had watched die. I'd watched this death and, and this pronouncement of death on this body. But I didn't know it was me. I really didn't. To me, it's so hard to explain to people. It, it's almost like if you're driving down the street and you see your same car you know, next to you and you see someone driving that looks just like you, but you know, it's not you because you's over here in this car. That's what it felt like to me. Like I felt like that couldn't be me because me is right here. But once I saw this happen and I felt them strapping that left arm and I actually felt myself break that left strap, I resisted them strapping it and actually broke the strap. Then they came back with a bigger strap. Um, that's when I realized that I, I had just witnessed my own death. I spun into uh, kind of a dark period at this point 
where I started to see all the negative things I'd ever done in my life. But I didn't see them from my perspective. I saw them from the perspective of the people that received the my my ill ill uh, energy or my negative energy, whatever it was, you know. And I started to believe for a moment that I wasn't I wasn't worth existing. I wasn't worth being alive because I had done so many mistakes in my life and I'd done um, so many disservices to people, not on purpose, but on, on accident many times and most times. And, and it was just then that I started to feel this warming sensation come from behind me. And this warmth that I was feeling, there's no words to describe it because we don't have this, this love that I was feeling coming from this warmth. It was just all encompassing this, this love and this warmth that came from behind me. And I turned around to see what, what, what it was. And I saw this, this gentleman and, and, and as this is all happening, I actually started to see all the good that I had done in my life and all the good influences I had been and, and been. And I, I saw it from the perspective of people I had served and people I had influenced in a positive way and how I had multiple generations of positive influence in certain aspects of my life. And, and I just saw that there was so much more good than I had ever done uh, bad or selfishly that I had, I had done a lot of selfless things and, and service type things in my life. And so I felt that uh, I felt that hope and, and light was on the, on the horizon for me as I, as I absorbed this love, this unconditional love, and I felt all of these, these really dark aspects of who I was start to get filled with this light. And, and I was raised in a, a fairly abusive home. And um, so I had a lot, I had kind of a chip on my shoulder for, for older males uh, specifically, or any male of any kind, actually, I had a, a big chip on my shoulder and, and it, I, I, my life up to that point, I, it's almost like I was looking for, for different opportunities to channel my negative energy towards males. And um, as this was, this was happening to me, I noticed that all these aspects of who I was that were, were not positive but negative inside of me were being washed away or filled up with this unconditional love, this pure love for all of us. And... And I felt cleansed by it. I felt purified by it. And I recognized that it was all coming from this, this gentleman. As I turned to look to see where this was all coming from, I could see it was coming from this one gentleman. He was, he was, he was just beaming light. Light was coming from him. I mean, you could feel it. The energy coming from him was, was so profound and life-changing and, and so full of love. And I, I noticed that he was, you know, this, this guy he had long white hair, long white beard. My first thought was, you must be God. And he just kind of chuckled at that. And, and, he, and he said, without using his mouth, he said, no, son, I'm not God. And so my follow-up question was, well, if you're not God, then are you Jesus? Like, you know, just as I was raised evangelical Christian, so I thought, well, it must be Jesus then. This must be Jesus. And uh, and he he again laughed and said, No, son, I'm I'm not Jesus either. But my my purpose here is to be your guide, to be your escort, to help you go wherever you want to go. And and my goal is to just help you 
And he said that you can call me Drake. That's what his, the closest people in his life and his, his circle of existence, that's what people called him as Drake. So I, I said, okay, Drake, let's, let's go wherever you, you came from. Let's go wherever this energy is that you're bringing to me. Let's go there and explain that that's my home. And that's his home. That's where both of us came from originally and that we could go back there. And that would be a great place to go. So I said, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go home. And so we began our journey and it was, I scoff at this part because I was a, I was a little full of pride on this point. I was raised Christian, very strict Christian. And I felt to my own standard, oh, oh, perfect. Let's just go there. We don't, let's just go right now. And, and he explained, no, this is going to be a journey that I needed to, to learn. I needed to raise my understanding so that I could get ready to be there in, in our home, what we would call heaven, you know, to be in heaven. And, and he kind of laughed and he's like, no, there's still, there's quite a bit of learning you're going to have to do to get there. And, and I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, I'm, I'm Christian. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus is my savior. And I believe that I'm saved by the grace of God and by my good works. Um, so I can just go there. And he again kind of laughed and said, that's beautiful. And I love that you have embraced and accepted that path for you. But there's so much more that we've got to go over before you can go there. And I, I felt like, well, what? then why did I follow Christianity then? And he explained that there's many paths to connect to God on earth and that Christianity is, is, is a strong path and, and one of our best paths, but um, there are many paths to connect to God. And that even with all of the beautiful teachings in Christianity, there's still more I needed. I personally needed to understand for me to go to this heaven space or to home, to go home. And so we began that journey and, and it was a journey where uh, until I actually wrote my, my experience down with my writer, uh, we didn't realize there was 10 distinct principles until we actually wrote it all down. And then the writer is like, Hey, Vinny, there's 10 very distinct principles in what, in what Drake was teaching you so that you could get ready for heaven. So yeah, I ended up learning 10 major principles as I went along the way. They weren't portrayed to me as like these 10 essential principles. They were just uh, essentially the 10 principles I was missing for me to be able to get to this heaven space, to this home space. And so we, we began this journey of, of learning these 10 principles. And, and you know, the, the first and foremost thing I had to learn was how to be authentic. And which is funny to me because I thought the first principle would be love. And Drake showed me that until I could be authentically me, and authentically vulnerable me that I couldn't actually feel love. I couldn't actually truly project real love towards or on anyone without being authentic first. So he helped me understand that I, all the different ways I wasn't being authentic in this world and how to be authentic from this, from that day forward. So that was the, the first principle is authenticity. The second principle is understanding the purpose of life that the purpose of life is that school is or earth is a, a classroom, not a courtroom that we come to earth school so that we can learn. We can learn the power of making decisions. 
making our own decisions, making our own choices, um, using agency, almost like a, like a weightlifting course for our spirit. Agency allows us to grow our choosing muscles. And, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to be in the classroom of earth to learn how to make decisions and, and build positive relationships and that those decisions and relationships we get to carry with us when we go back home, but we don't get to carry anything else with us. We don't get to carry our cars or our careers or our homes because those things don't matter at all in heaven. Heaven's way better than the best car or the best career or being the richest person on earth. It's still way better. I feel that the bounty and the wealth in heaven far exceeds anything we could even think of in, in the world's terms. So that was the first two things. I had to understand authenticity and understand the purpose of life that, that we're here in earth school to learn, to grow, and to make decisions. And then the third was, was love, you know, loving everyone. That's the third principle, learning to truly love everyone and everything. That means love all creation, whether it's the trees, the animals, the people, even if they act like animals. To, to love all beings, whether they be human or animal or, or creature or, or plant, but to love everyone. And, and then the, the fourth principle was for me to learn to listen to my inner voice, that all of us have an inner spark, a spark of, of divinity. Some might call it our higher self or our, our spiritual umbilical cord that connects us to God. And learn to listen to that connection. And it was funny because here I am going to heaven. I'm like, okay, that's fine and dandy. But why do I need to have that in heaven? Uh, why do I need to learn to listen to my inner voice? And, and I was taught that it's because that inner voice is still how we communicate there to God. Is we connect through the inside, not the outside. And whereas here in this world, in the earthly world, we connect outside ourselves using our mouths using sound and, and, and sign language. We, we connect outside ourselves to each other, but, but God, uh, we connect to and communicate within. So learning to, to better uh, listen to the inner voice that all of us have. And then um, the step number five I had to take was learning to use technology responsibly. And now when this all happened to me, this was 2003 and, there wasn't a lot of technology like it is now. It was very, very much in the baby stages of technology and social media. And I mean, back then, if you think back, people had MySpace pages and there was, there was a Facebook was a newer thing. Um, so there wasn't a lot of social media at the time, but yet it was very, very enforced to me through the experience that I needed to to learn to have a, a positive relationship with technology. Because if I didn't um, learn to use technology responsibly, that technology would use me irresponsibly. So we get to either be the master of technology or technology gets to be the master of us. And if we are seeking out our happiness through technology, um, the second that technology is taken away from us, we will have no happiness. And there is no true joy that comes from technology, only short-lived happiness, that true joy comes from within. 
Um, so I needed to learn to better understand technology and and foster a a responsible relationship with it, no matter where it goes in the future or where it's been in the past. Um, and then the sixth principle for me was releasing prejudice. And this is one I was like, I got this. Drake, you don't need to talk to me about releasing prejudice. I was raised with two sisters that are Korean. And um, I always told them, and we always joked that I was more Korean than they were, and and probably still am, um, because I I really embrace the Korean culture, and and they they don't really embrace it not so much, and so uh, you know my whole life I felt like I was their defender, their protector, even though they were older, I was always bigger. Even since I was like ten years old, I was bigger than they were, and um, so I always felt like I was their physical protector. And, and if anyone ever was prejudiced to them in any way, shape or form, I would rush out to that prejudiceness and I would defend their honor uh, my whole life. So I felt, Drake, you don't need to go over releasing prejudice. I'm, I'm like the least prejudiced person you could ever find on earth. And, uh, and he, he again kind of laughed lovingly and he said, well, how do you feel about prejudiced people? And I'm like, I hate prejudiced people. They're horrible. Like, and I, I went off. I'm like, whether they're racist, misogynist, like, uh, doesn't matter. Whatever they choose, I, I don't like that type of being because that's not me. And he goes, he goes, let me show you something. And he showed me like all the racist and re- and prejudiced people I ever knew in my life. He kind of grouped them in a little group of people in my mind. And then he showed me over here. And then he he took me and put me in that group. And he's like, by you hating them, you're joining them. And that was, that was extremely profound for me. I didn't realize that I myself was becoming prejudiced against prejudiced people. And that for me to release prejudice, that I had to understand the eternal cycle or the life cycle of a, even a prejudiced person that most prejudices happen because someone was hurt or victimized in one way or another, whether it was their culture, their environment, or whatever, somehow they were put into the victim status. And in that victim status, they reach out and lash out in prejudice nature. And he showed me that it takes a victim to become prejudiced, that there is no person that is not a victim of some sort that is prejudiced that they are doing that in reaction to their victim nature. And he helped me understand that to love someone, I need to love them through their prejudice nature and understand that even deep below the surfaces of who they think they are, there's a spark, there's a light, there's a divinity within them and that I needed to love that. And so that was, that was quite profound for me to understand that, that I needed to, um, take myself out of the prejudice uh, grouping and love them by releasing my own prejudice against prejudiced people. And, and that was, that was a big one for me that, that led me to uh, my seventh step, which is exercise the power of creation. And that's when I was, I was taught by Drake that, that we all have these magic wands that we can wave around and create with. And what that magic wand is, is our thoughts. That what we allow ourselves to think, we literally begin to create with. 
And if we can, if we can control our thought process and control what we're thinking about, we can control the real world. The physical world can be controlled by our thoughts. It starts with our thoughts. And if we can master our thoughts, we can master our world. We can master our environment. And even if we are in the deepest depths of despair, if we can choose to be positive and to see our glass as always half full and never half empty, then eventually that glass will get filled all the way to the top. But if we're always going to see our glass as half empty, eventually we're going to end up with an empty glass. We're going to feed that energy and eventually um, rob ourselves of the joy and the bounty that God wants us to have. And it's our thoughts that are the magic wands that are going to create the good or the bad that we receive. And, you know, if we want to be a victim and we feel so victimized and we want to broadcast our victimness on social media, on uh, from the, the soapboxes of the world, if we want to broadcast our victimness, we will encourage God and the universe to give us more opportunity to be a victim. But if we want to turn away from victimhood and turn towards victoriousness and overcoming victimhood and focus on the beautiful blessings we have. And if you can't find anything to be grateful for, be grateful that you have a heart that pumps blood and keeps you alive. You have eyes, you have hands, you have feet, you have legs. Because there's many people on earth that don't even have these things. And, and if you can just take what you're given as you sit right there and be grateful for it, then God and the universe gives us even more to be grateful for. But if we're not grateful for what we have, we're not going to be given more. Because that's the, the energy of, of our thoughts. And, and that was the, the, the eighth, or the, sorry, the seventh um, principle that I learned, which, let, which was, you know, understanding our power of creation, and which led me to the eighth, which is avoiding negative influences. So if you know negative thoughts bring negative opportunity, and positive thoughts bring positive opportunity, thus the importance of, of step five for me, which was avoiding negative influences. And, and I, I told... Drake, I go, well, I don't like negative things. I really, I, I shy away from all negative things. And then he says, well, that's, that's beautiful. But how do you end your day and how do you start your day? And I thought about it for a moment. And, and you know, during the time this all happened, I was in construction. And so I, I thought, well, right when I wake up, I, I text all of my workers and, and we talk about where we're going to meet for the day for our job site and that kind of thing. And then at the end of the day, I usually finish off my day with a, a round of news. That's kind of what my standard was. I'd kick on the news and, and watch it for 30 minutes or an hour and then turn it off and go to bed. And let me understand that my sleep time is a precious time. And it's a time for programming. And I will allow programming of whatever I allow in my body energetically right before I go to bed and right when I wake up. And that we get to frame our life and frame our energetic world with what I call our hour of power, the 30 minutes before bed and the 30 minutes right when we wake up. If we can use that time as a precious time, a sacred time, to, to specifically allow only positive energy in this space, it will give us a positive outcome in our lives. 
But if we allow the, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, these, these medias that don't necessarily build positive energy in us, if we allow them in, in our hour of power, then we're always going to be unhappy and always thinking that everyone around us is happy, but not us. So um, that was a little key to, to learn the hour of power to avoiding all negative influences. And, and if I know I have to check the news, make sure you go to a source that's not giving you biased news, which almost all your major news, I don't care what, what, whether it's CNN, Fox, MSNBC, any of these major news networks, all they give you is they give you biased news. They don't give you unbiased news. So find a source for unbiased news. And in the United States, that's pretty much stepping outside the United States. You almost have to step outside the United States to get unbiased news. Or, or ask your, your team of spirit and, and God and say, hey, bring me the stories that are important for me. Have someone else talk to me about it. And, and you'll notice, and that's what I do. I tend to not seek out news at all in any way, shape, or form. I don't allow it in my space because it's so dirty. Um, but what I do ask is when a story is important for me, to, for me to hear it two or three times secondhand, and then I know it's important for me to, to do my own research on that specific story. And with me, that's how it works, and it works really well. So, you know, again, avoiding negative influences. That brought me to the ninth principle, which is understanding that, that there is even purpose to negative influences. There's purpose to evil. And, you know, having a world, you know, I get this question all the time. How can there be a God if, if God allows um, child sex trafficking and, and human mutilation and human murder? If there's a God, why does he allow that? And, and the answer is, because if God didn't allow that, we wouldn't have any agency whatsoever. You either have agency or you don't. There's not, I'm going to give you agency up to an extent. God gives us full agency to make decisions in this life. And with that ability to make choices, there's the ability to make bad choices and good choices. But the importance is to take away some of those choices. Let's say God takes away the worst possible choices then God takes away all choices. It's, it's all or nothing with agency. That's how it works. And to have a life without any agency would be like having a gym or an athletic space with no equipment. Because those choices are the equipment we use to build our spiritual nature. Without the ability to make choices, we can't grow. Because already in heaven, where we exist, you know, before here, we're so close to God and, and that love is so strong. That love that we have for God is so strong. And that love God has for us is so strong. Anything God wants, we want instantaneous. It, that, that love is so strong. We can't have an independent thought from God because we're in such, such synchronicity with God that we want everything that God wants. And God knew that we couldn't make our own decisions unless we went to a far distance from, from God. And that's what we do. That's earth school. Earth school is a very, very far distance. Many dimensions away from God is earth school. And that long distance relationship is there. And we even pass through a veil of forgetfulness because even if we could remember that strong love that we have for God, then it would influence our decisions. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't have 
true free agency here, unless we had to forget that love we have for God. But here's the beautiful thing. When you have children and you serve and love and care for your children, you get a spark of that love that God has for us. When you serve and care for others and you see it changing their life, that warmth, that beauty you feel inside your heart, that is a spark of that that love we have with God. And, And what this life is all about is understanding that, yes, for God to create Jacob's ladder, which God is at the top of Jacob's ladder, Satan or evil or fear is at the bottom of Jacob's ladder. God created the whole thing, both the the top, the good, and the bottom, the bad. That means the bad is is a vitally important part of the growth process. And to not have it is to not have growth. So yes, there is even purpose to evil. And that led me to my 10th principle, which knowing that we are all one. And when I say that we are all one, I mean it as if we are all fingers on God's hand. And for one of us to hate or hurt another is to hate or hurt yourself. In essence, in core of energy, for us to hurt another, for us to say a bad thing about another, is to hurt yourself. And that's when I was taught the principle of the pointed finger. Whatever energy we put out, we receive. So um, as I point my finger, I know this is just going to be audio only, but I want you to look at your finger, point a finger and point it sideways in front of you. And if you, you look at your pointed finger and you're saying, hey, that person is such a jerk, you're, you're sending one point of energy, the, you're pointing your finger towards that person. You're, you're shooting your thumb up in the air towards God. So in essence, you're saying that person and God is such a jerk. And then flip your hand over and you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. And so you're saying that person, God, and me three times is such a jerk. And there's no positive, there's no positive way to say a negative thing. Any negative uh, deposits we put into the universe with our, with our energy, any judgments that we put on others, we actually take on ourselves three times stronger. But here's the beauty of that same equation. Any blessing that we put out in the universe. And I say, hey, that person is so amazing. That person is a real game changer. They've really done a lot with their life. I'm saying that about them. I'm saying that about God. And I'm saying that three times more about myself. So how important is it for us to to put positive energy on others around us? Even the beauty of nature the beauty of animals, to be a positive beacon of energy everywhere you go. And what will happen is you're, you're giving yourself three times that energy within as you put it out. And it's funny, when people come to me, I actually do coaching. I do coaching for a living. And as I coach people through their different um, issues in life and different problems, many times when someone comes to me and says, I need this in my life, I tell them, okay, go give that to three people. And, and once they actually do it, they actually go and give what they need to three people. They come back to me and they go, wow, I've, I've got like 10 times as much of this now than I ever had before. And I have exactly what I need. That, that, that principle of the pointed finger is a, an equation that works in this universe. That if we put positive energy out, we will get positive energy back threefold. 
but we've, we've really got to do it for real and not just do lip service. We need to feel it. We need to send that positive energy with our heart, with our love. And that's when we receive positive results, positive responses. And, and, you know, understanding that principle of the pointing finger is, is to say, you know, so you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off. I used to be, get all upset and, Oh, what a jerk. Maybe give them a special middle finger. Um, I don't do that anymore. Now I, I see someone, they cut me off and I'm I go, isn't that funny how I just cut myself off right there. I'm so silly. Why would I do that to myself? And I just kind of laugh it off. And the beautiful thing is it instantly de-escalates any type of road rage situation when you recognize that, you know, when something bothers you really bad, it's because you have done that or you have um, exercised that negative energy out to the world before. And that's why it bothers you so bad. And if you admit that or not, it doesn't matter. It's a fact of life. When, when you're going on, on your life path and something really bothers you, the reason it bothers you is because you have already embodied that negative behavior somehow. And that is, is what's, what's resonating with you, causing you to have such a strong mental energy about this. Uh, some people call it mirroring. Whenever you find something that really bothers you, I love to find that thing that bothers me and then go dissect it in meditation to try to figure out what I'm seeing in myself in the behavior of someone else that makes makes me feel bothered. And the beauty of that is I can deep dive on myself, on my own energy, and figure it out what it was and cleanse myself of it, release myself of it, try to forgive yourself of it. And once you fully release it, you can witness that behavior again and it doesn't bother you at all. So recognize when you're witnessing something and it really bothers you, it's because you're seeing yourself in what's going on there. Somehow you're seeing yourself. And it's seeing yourself that makes you feel bothered. So if you go around, you get bothered by everybody, you got a lot of work to do. But if you go around and that one thing, when it happens in front of you, it really bothers you, figure it out. Figure it out. You know, I, like I said before, I was raised in a, a fairly abusive home. And so when I see child abuse in front of me, I trigger. And I know that if I'm triggering, it's because I haven't fully released my past. I haven't fully healed my past because if I have healed it, it's not going to trigger me. I'm going to get involved. That's just, that's who I am. I'm going to get involved. No matter what, I'm going to get involved. I've witnessed it. I'm going to get involved, but I, I don't get triggered by it. I don't have to get triggered by it. I can release my past and, and go beyond it. And I can love um, the victim and, and, and the predator both. I can, I can love them both. And in, in, I can love um, them out of that situation so that they can move beyond it in the future so that we don't have to repeat the cycles of the past. But that was my experience that at this point, I actually touched down in this heaven space. My feet were in the grass and I could feel this, this same love that I was feeling from Drake back in the beginning. And I could feel just this tremendous amount of love coming to me. And, you know, I want you to, for you to get a, an idea of what this love is like. If you take all the best experiences of your entire life, all of it, of your entire life, it's not even an eyelash to the forest of love that's already there for us. That love is supremely unconditional. 
and full of grace and light specifically for us. No matter what we have done or are going to do, that love is truly unconditional for us. And, and from God's perspective, we are the divine masterwork. We are the creations of God, and, and God looks at us as, as his creations, as, as these, these creations that he, he feels so glorified and full of light and love when, when we are able to progress and make, make good decisions at earth school because it is one of the hardest schools and there's a lot of schools. Um, but the, the school of the soul, that's the hardest is earth school. And all of us, if you're here, you're listening to this, you're in earth school and, um, and the angels, the energies, the spirits are so, so proud of us for choosing to go here first of all, but second of all, um, even having any myriad of success or even no success just to choose to go here they feel is is a tremendous blessing for all humanity and all life. And as I'm going through this process, I'm experiencing trees. I'm experiencing water, the purification and the glory of this water. And it didn't, it wouldn't get you wet, but it, it would go through you, through your being. And it continued to just cleanse any hiccups or imperfections that I had picked up along my life from the abuse, even from self-abuse from, you know, that that, there's a symptom of abuse is when someone's abused, they tend to self-abuse as well. And, And so I had a lot of both and I was able to really clean myself through this, this loving, graceful water. It went into the tiniest little nooks and crannies of, of these little, um, cracks in my soul of who I was and purified me. And as I'm going through this whole process, Drake is just loving that I'm loving this place. And I'm recognizing everything that this is my home. I finally felt home. I finally felt as if, you know, I had, I had always wanted to come back here. And I was finally back here. And I was, I was really almost like setting my roots of energy down into this, this space and I noticed this building off to the side and noticed it was a school, a university, and noticed that, that there's just unlimited learning there. If we want to learn, we can. We get to essentially have the experience we feel we were, we were robbed of here. And then we are able to take it even further and have all the experiences we ever want to have to purify ourselves back to that pure love essence that we started with. But now we have all of this ability to make choices, all this ability to use free agency for, for good, for, for benefit and for growth. And as I'm, I'm experiencing all this, Drake comes to me and he gets very close to me this whole time when we were working and doing all this, he, he kept going to my side, to, to, to my presence where I was, he would, he would kind of shift over to the side as we're journeying, as we're learning. And when things would get serious, he would come around in front of me but at this point, he came around in front of me and he got real close to my face and he looked at me deep in the eyes and his eyes, they felt like they would reach in and grab who I was and just hold me. He looked in my eyes and said, Vinny, this is going to be very hard, but it's going to be worth it. And he, he brought me in really close to give me a hug. And, and what's so pristinely beautiful is how you hug there because you're not 
because you're not limited by these physical bodies, you're still a body, but you're an energetic body. He, he, we allowed our presences to come together to be one in this hug, in this divine light hug. And out of nowhere, we just, we, it was almost as if our energy exploded. We went from being our individual brightness and lightness. And as we came together, instantaneous was like, boom, we were four times brighter than either one of us could ever be on our own. And this just bright glory was around us as he hugged me. And I felt just this, this undying love. And I, and I didn't know who Drake was. I had no idea who this guy is, but I knew he loved me. I knew, I knew he loved me more than I could ever even love myself. And I felt this, this pure, unconditional love coming from him and recognized that it was the love of, of my creator. It was the love of God. And at this moment, I got a grasp of who God is. And God is so much bigger than a man or a woman or, or any creation we could experience here on earth. Because God is all the creations here on earth. God is everything. And I, I grasped for the first time the vastness of the love that this, this creator has for us. Not just for me. That wasn't anything special for all of us. And as this was, I was experiencing this, I then started to hear a special blessing. It was being given to me, to my body. Now, meanwhile, all this is happening. I've been in a coma. My body's been in a, a brain-dead coma for three days. That third night, my brother was giving my body a special blessing, a special prayer. And he was giving this prayer, and he, and by the way, prayers are extremely powerful, by the way, especially when they are centered in love. And my, I didn't know my brother loved me like this. I, I knew we loved each other. We were brothers. But we both had it pretty rough. I, I feel I had it rougher. He always felt he had it rougher. But, you know, we both had it very rough. And I, I started to feel the tremendous power of my brother's love as he said this special blessing he blessed that i would be made whole that i would come back and as he he ended that blessing he closed it with an amen when he closed it i felt i was i was jerked from where i was in heaven from where i was in in my home my home of homes I was forced back into my body. And I didn't have any agency with that. My agency was fully removed because I didn't want that. I didn't want any of that at all. I wanted to be home. And now I've learned. I've learned why. But it was it was very hard for me. I woke up from this coma. I was extremely claustrophobic. And I woke up uh, a few hours, actually. My brother gave me this, this blessing around 9.30 at night. And I woke up at 1.11 in the morning. 1.11 in the morning is the time that all my sensors went dead. And they went dead because I woke up and yanked everything off of me. And, and 
even yanking everything off of me. I had catheters in, I had multiple IVs in, I just yanked everything. I had a breathing tube in. If you, if you look to my book, there's pictures of me on, on life support there on the back. And, and you can see all that was going on. I yanked everything off of me. And then I stood there for a second and realized all these, all these alarms were going off on the machines. So I went and unplugged all the machines. Even I didn't want any of that near me. And then I just stood there panting for a few seconds. And then I realized, Oh, I'm naked. <laughs> I better put something around me. So I went to the, to the cupboards and grabbed a couple of gowns and wrapped around my midsection. And I walked out of the hospital room. I went, I looked both ways and I could see there was a, an elevator down to my right side. So I went down the, the hallway to the right and went straight for the elevator, went straight for the elevator. I got to the elevator. I was hitting the down button. I was, I kept hitting it, hitting it when I heard a scream and it was a nurse who had gone into the room to see what had gone on and saw that there was no one there and that even the equipment was unplugged and it freaked her out. I don't know what she thought, um, but she was freaked out. And, and then uh, right after that, shortly after that, another nurse screamed and they, they both came out and screamed when they looked at me and I'm sitting there, you know, essentially naked holding a gown around my midsection and I'm trying to escape the hospital. <laughs> and uh, they, they're like, no, you got to come back. And I, I knew to, I knew to come back because I, I did have a very strong sense that if I had forced myself to escape or leave that they would have gotten in so much trouble and I didn't want that for them. So I did come back. And uh, I went through the process of uh, self-release at a hospital, which anybody who's ever been at a hospital, that's quite a process, especially when you were, you were essentially classified as brain dead or, um, or neurologically dead. Uh, they, they didn't even think that my heart would beat on its own. They felt that everything was on, on artificial um, um, health. So, uh, you know, here I am, I'm fully fine and I feel fine. I felt like I was, I could just go, I, I felt like I could just drive home right then, but they wouldn't let me. Of course, I went through about another six hours of testing, had to get uh, seven different departments to sign off on me. And uh, I had a, a little phone book worth of paperwork I had to sign and everybody wanted me to sign all sorts of liability releases for me to go home. And I signed them all. I'm like, no, just let me go home. I, I had a neurologist tell me that uh, at any moment I was going to slip back into a coma and I was going to die. And I'm like, well, not if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> I'm not going to. And uh, sure enough, I, I went through the process and I checked myself out. I, I caught a ride with my dad. He picked me up at uh, 7.30 a.m. And I went home. And from that day forward, I was, uh, other than shattered molars, I did have almost all my molars um, hyperfractured. What, what happens is if you have your molars go into bad seizures like I was, I mean, my teeth was the least of the worries of the medical professional. They were they really needed to take care of so many other systems first. And as that was all going on, I eventually had to replace all my molars because they did all fracture from all the seizures um, and a few of my front teeth too eventually. But um, other than that, other than the, the dental problems, I didn't have any um, lingering effects of this experience other than I felt I was a bit crazy after this. I did. Um, and, and that's understandable. I went from not necessarily hearing or speaking to spirit to now uh, spirit was a, a daily part of my life. And I was, 
I was telling spirit to shut up. I didn't want to listen to them. And, and they wanted me to be positive and to follow my 10 principles that I learned. And I didn't want to, I wanted to I actually went and looked at the most dangerous jobs so I could go join that job and die again. So I could go back. And, and I, I had a plan of either becoming an underwater welder or becoming a crab fisherman because both jobs have a, a very high fatality rate. And I, I was like visualizing in my mind, Ooh, I could just slip on the deck of a ship and I'd be, I'd be back with, with Drake and I could stay there this time. And, and I was so excited. I had all this planned out and I kept hearing from Drake. Actually, Drake kept telling me, Vinny, hang in there. It's going to be worth it. Remember what I told you, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. And only two and a half months after my experience, I met, I met on a random circumstance, uh, a, a pristine human being that when I looked in her face, I actually saw heaven. I really did. I saw heaven like coming out of her eyes. I saw that light, that love. And I saw it for everybody, not for me, but for everybody. And I realized that, that this was what Drake was talking about, that it was going to be worth it. And from the time, from the moment I met her, I stopped looking into all these dangerous jobs and trying to join them. And I started wanting to stick around and, and wanted to see this through. And I've, you know, I've now been married to this amazing person for 20 years and we have two amazing kids and, and I wouldn't change anything. It's been absolutely amazing. It's, it's been still really hard because I still have that knowledge, that knowledge of what's there for all of us. And I, I'm not afraid of death whatsoever. And it's kind of funny being who I am. If we, there's a real close call on the freeway or something like that, I'm like, oh, man, we almost got there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we could have been in heaven in like five minutes. <laughs> so it is a different way of thinking. And, and there's been times when someone's with me, they're like, did you just say that? I'm like, yeah, we almost got to go to heaven. That would have been freaking awesome. Um, that's that's where I live. That's where I exist. And I'm excited for the day when it does come. I'm not going to seek it out or try to attract it. Um, but I am excited for it when when it's my time to go back. I'm going to go the right way. I'm not going to circumvent the system. I'm not going to pull any triggers or anything. But I'll tell you, I am excited for one day when that does happen. But the coolest thing for me is, you know, I was still thinking that I was a bit crazy and that this was all a possibly a delusion because I did have a neurologist that told me this was a delusion that this whole experience was my imagination just making things up because it had a three-day window to make up space. And I thought, I thought it was still a possibility until seven months after my experience. I'm sitting in this little town in Wyoming and watching this presentation on, uh, in this little town called Afton, Wyoming in Star Valley. And at Afton High School, I see this presentation on the history of the state of Wyoming and the history of this little town of Afton and uh, some of the first clergy and the first governors and first mayors and, and all these, these first time uh, leaders of the, of the, the state and the city and up comes this picture. And I wasn't even paying attention, but to this point I had described Drake so well to my, to my fiance at the time, to Andrea, I described him so well that she felt she knew who he was as well. And when his picture came up on the screen, she noticed it before I did, because I wasn't even looking at the screen. I was like, 
I don't know. I was, I, I, uh, I daydream a lot about heaven. And I was in one of my daydreams when she saw this picture come up on this big screen, this big movie screen at the high school on the hot, on the football field. And she sees this guy and she goes, that's your guide. That's Drake. And I turned to her and I'm like, no, it's not. And, and I froze mid sentence and I knew instantly it was, I couldn't speak. I could not get a word out of me because now this whole experience was real because if he's real, the experience is real. I never knew who this guy was. I, I had never seen his picture of my whole life. There was no possible way my imagination had, had grabbed this out of, out of, out of history and, and brought it to me. There was no possible way. The only explanation was that Drake was real. Therefore my experience was real. The one hard part was though, the picture said his name was Charles. And, and I, I recognized the last name. It said Kazare. And I knew for a fact my grandmother was a Kazare because some of my cousins through my grandmother are all Kazares. So I went to my grandmother right away. And I said, Grandma, can you tell me about Charles Kazare? And her exact response was, oh, you mean great grandpa Drake? He's kind of famous in our family. And I just, I started bawling. I literally, I just lost it and started crying. I was like, Drake's real. Because <laughs> he was. He's real. And come to find out, my great, 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 great grandfather on my grandmother's side. I never saw his face in my whole life. How could I? There's no one keeps pictures that old around. And here I am getting a verification, a confirmation that my experience had really happened to me. And that this experience that I experienced is something that I need to start sharing with people. And I got so strongly from this experience, when I saw his face, I knew instantly, now I need to start sharing this with everyone, not just Andrea. I need to share it with everyone. And I started sharing it where I could. My hard part was for about the first two years to even think about heaven, I would cry. And it's, it's really hard to be a man and be in Western society and sit there and try to cry your way through explaining spirit. But after about two years, I tried a few times, but I kept, I kept, I couldn't get it out. I would cry so much after about two years and sharing it with a few really close friends. I got to a point where I could share it openly I knew what parts to talk about, what parts not to talk about. Because anytime I talk about Drake or, uh, sorry, just that, that love that I got to experience there, I, I would just melt. So I knew, stay away from that, the love stuff, and you're going to be okay. You can tell people about your experience. So for the longest time, that's how I shared it. Shared it for, for 10 years that way. And then I started allowing the love aspect to, to come across as well. And I, I could hold in composure myself and share that part of it, that, that part of the experience. And after so many years of sharing it, having so many people tell me, Hey, you've got to get this in a book and a story. You've got to somehow get it documented so that people can, can take a copy with them and read it when they want. And, uh, and it took me quite a few years to get it right, to do it justice. That's the real thing. I, I wrote and rewrote my experience for 10 years. And during that 10 years, I never was doing it justice until I met Lynn Taylor. And uh, as soon as I met him, Spirit told me, um, he's, your, he's your writer. He's going to help you get this story in the right way. 
And from the very first moment we we started working on it, we both felt the strongest presence of God come through in in almost like a mission or a duty to get this story out. And it's not for everybody, but for those that it helps, it really helps. And it helps answer a lot of questions that people have of of why life is the way it is, but also why we are the way we are. And um, it's it's had a, a very, very long lasting effect. And, you know, the book's only been out for six months and it's already received extremely positive response. Um, I would say 90, 95 to 98% of people who read it feel that it, it changed their life in a positive way. And, and, and to me, that's, that's a win. That's a success. And that's how I know that um, that was my mission all along. That's why my agency was taken away and I was forced back is so that I could share it with people that even my, my childhood of abuse happened for a reason because any abused kid will tell you that you almost become psychic as an abused kid. And you know how people are feeling before they even enter the room. You, and, and it was that hyper awareness that I had that allowed me to remember so much of my experience. I've even gone under full hypnosis to see if there was any details I left out in, in my memory of the experience. And, it, and what's really awesome is my exact experience comes through whether I'm conscious or through my subconscious through hypnosis. So it, to me, that's beautiful. That, that's testament to me that, that I have the full memory of the experience. And if I didn't have the abused uh, past or history, then I wouldn't have had that hyper-awareness to remember everything that was going on around me, including the 10 principles. It's, to me, that is, is, is foremost the most important aspect of it, um, is to understand the purpose of love and how we can use love to help us and, and, and embody God's love here on earth. But yeah, that's my story. And, and essentially, I didn't really... Uh, uh, that's that's it. <laughs> I was in tears the whole time. You know, both Patty and I are psychics, and that's what we work. We're clairvoyant, we're empaths, you name it. We, we do all of those things. We're very open people. Um, I got to tell you, you know, even though I've listened to this story through uh, David's podcast, to hear it live from you was so healing and so filling on so many levels. Like I just felt like light was pouring into me, into my spirit, into my heart and in cleaning me and cleansing me as you were saying all of this. Not only that, but everything you said was so validating for me, you know, as somebody who has gone through my life. And we have a very similar story, by the way, like First of all, I am I am Korean, so I'd be like one of your Korean sisters. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I also had an abusive childhood and I have gone through this waking spiritual journey. So this experience that you had and had this massive download all in one shot, you know, this like three day death experience is something that I have been piecing together for my whole life. And you we have just met but you don't know patty and i have been doing this podcast now for i think about three years maybe even more and uh there are many episodes where we touch on every single one of those 10 principles uh like 
like to a T, but never ever have I heard them organized and just like realize that, oh my gosh, I have been trying to share these 10 principles with people over and over again. Both Patty and I have been trying to teach people on their spiritual journey and path those pretty much exact 10 principles. And it's just mind blowing to me. And so I don't know, in a way like this great relief that I was feeling to hear somebody just take this pieced out spiritual journey that I've been on and just put it in something that's so concise and so organized in such a beautiful way with such detail. I mean, even the university in heaven, I tell people, I can't even tell you how many episodes or how many readings I've done. I was like, I know this sounds crazy, but there's like this school on the other side and I see it's like this building <laughs> and there's like classrooms and I have no reference point that that actually exists, but I see oh, it. Yeah, it does. I it see does it. Exist. Yes. Yeah. And, and your description of the other side is what I have seen. I have seen these windows open up where I get these viewpoints. And this is why I always love uh, listening to other people's testimonies about their experiences on the other side because it validates so much of what I see. Because otherwise, like you, I would just feel crazy running around out here. Like, what authority do <laughs> yeah. I have to tell anybody that any of this stuff exists, except for that I know it with every facet of my being, but mm -hmm. I didn't actually die. I didn't actually go there. And to hear you as a firsthand person to have gone there and seen it and come back and say, everything that I have been piecing together for the last 42 years of my life is one of the most healing and reassuring experiences that I just had with somebody. I mean, I've been with a lot of healers, but that has to be like what just listening to you was like, I felt like little pieces of me that had been disjointed or kind of like out of skew just went boop, 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 boop. Yep. Oh, it all makes sense. It's all real. <laughs> I was holding back tears the whole time. I would have just sobbed the entire time I wanted to. It was incredible. And I feel honored, privileged, privileged that you felt the call to come here and share this story and that our audience gets to hear this because I do not contend anything you say from my clairvoyant point of view. That is exactly as I see everything and exactly as I feel our purpose here on earth is and our relation to God and everything in between. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for um, being a platform that can, can share the light. You know, there's, there's so many negative influences out there to be a positive influence. Sometimes you feel like a reed in the wind, but sometimes that one reed, that one, uh, you know, uh, shaft of grass can prevent the erosion of the hill. And that's what that's what you're doing, your purpose in in sharing this light to other people. And and you know, talking about the university, I could talk for like two hours just about the university. And I didn't get to go in, but I got to understand or glean what the university is. But it, it, you know, this is probably another whole podcast I could do with you guys. Please where I talk to <laughs> talk about the there's these pods too. There's these pods outside of heaven and they're energetic pods. And then there's pods in heaven that are these like domes on heaven and they have really divine purpose as well um, that we get to be a part of um, either as someone who's facilitating or as the patient, the, the client who goes into the pod. Um, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. The whole system is so full of love, but what's cool is these pods, they look like pearls and they congregate on the outside of heaven and you have to go through them to get into heaven. 
And, and part of the process of getting through them is not having the negative attachment or, or victimhood left on you. And if you still have it on you, you get caught in one of these pearls and then you're lovingly allowed to release this victim nature. But what's so cool is if you pull, you know, pull them all together and look at them, they would be in essence, a pearly gate, a, a, a filter of heaven. And, and the same function that they function outside of heaven on heaven, they function in the half in a dome on the, the heaven space. And for someone who died tragically, or died as a victim, but not of their own hand. Like, like they're not glorifying their victim nature, but yet they were a, a tragic victim of some sort. They go into one of these domes instantaneously from heaven or from earth, I mean. And there, there's all these, these love force workers working the different frequencies, working the different energies to completely heal that trauma so that they can um, emerge out of these, these domes completely released from whatever effect they had just received in their passing or, or maybe the tragic nature of their life. So, you know, I've been able to work with a lot of families with suicide and, and, and it's really a beautiful thing that even when someone takes their life, that, that there is a loving path even for them and nowhere, anywhere did I find the garbage can called hell. I didn't see the garbage can anywhere. And not in one place did I feel that God had a purpose to throw away any soul, not one, ever. That, that we are so important to God, from the best of us to the worst of us, we are so important to God. And, and that, to me, is, is one of the most important messages from my experience, that there is no garbage can of hell. There isn't. And in fact, the worst I experienced, the worst, was coming back to here. That was the worst. So it, to me, from my experience, who I've been in heaven, hell to me is here, earth school. And it's pretty freaking awesome here. If we allow ourselves to believe it, earth is awesome. If we would believe it, truly believe it, this is the worst it gets. It only gets better from here. Yeah. Again, thank you for being a platform for, for all this energy of light to come forward to people. Okay. I think I can talk. <laughs> uh, I'll try at least. So I would just like to start by saying, thank you so much beyond. Thank you for being here. Thank you on a personal level. Um, you know, I was like, Judah's holding back tears the entire time, but it, it felt like an out-of-body experience to me. At one point I was looking around, like, is this some kind of joke? Like, is this a pretend podcast just so I can hear the information I'm supposed to hear, <laughs> you know, that I can have the the questions I've been answering answered. Like it, it just hit me on such a personal, profound level. Like, I mean, I feel like my life has changed from you sharing this experience. Sorry. Okay. So when I was 19, I took a college course on, it was called actually On Death and Dying, and it was um, studying the works of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she was a pioneer in near-death experiences, mm -hmm. and and we had a, an entire course on it, and it was fascinating. So I came in today like, oh, this is going to be super interesting, um, but I had no idea, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, I had no idea where it was going to go and how important this is and how it's so important to hear this right now for so many and how we need hope and we need love and we need to know that we are all one. And I feel like 
the work that you've done in your book is not just important. It's part of the shift of the universe and of humanity and where we're going right now. It is. And I, I fully believe that, that there's divine timing to it. There was to a point where I was told, like, just write the book down and, and it's going to be published. And, you know, I actually met with Louise Hay. You probably are familiar with her. Um, and this was 12 years ago. I met with her and she said, Vinny, get your story written down because I shared the story with her. And she she also felt very moved by it and said, Vinny, get this story down and I will publish your story. And and it's funny because uh, any any one of us that have had these experiences would like jump all over that. I didn't. I was afraid of it. I'm like, oh, crap. You know, I I was so worried about the judgment of others. And finally, it took me a, a, a few years to peel away my own ego, which to me, ego is an acronym of edging God out. And and I felt like my own ego was was trying to prevent that from happening. But it got to a point where I, I meditate daily. I have to. It's a function to me, like breathing. If I don't meditate, I get ill. And so in, in my daily meditations, I was getting very strongly, get this book done. And so th- that's when I started trying to do it on my own. And, um, and finally, I, I got that, that great help of Lynn Taylor. And together, we got it done. But, you know, Patty, thank you for your, your authentic vulnerable vulnerability to share that because, um, you know, it is in our vulnerabilities we grow the most. And, and I grow every time I share my experience. And it's funny, too. There, I have one gal that she... She kind of like haunts my, all my podcasts and follows me wherever I go. And she's like, she's like, there's not one that she's ever listened to where she didn't get something new out of it. And, and I love that about spirit. Spirit has, has me portray my experience the same and, and sometimes even describe it the same. But the energy is very different every single time I share it. And the healing is very different every single time I share it. And I heal a little bit every single time I share it because I'm still that 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 victim who was fort kicked got his ass kicked back to earth <laughs> and and was forced back you know and and i'm still that kid inside there and uh i'm still on my journey of of trying to to find my daily heaven you know to find the little things it, it does make it easier i have a two-year-old my son's two years old and like the second he wakes up like beams of sunshine come out of his presence. So, so it's super easy to find the light with a, with a little one around, but I'll tell you, um, it's important for us to daily seek out that light, you know, and if we don't fill our environments, bringing it to us, you know, dive in deep and give it to others. And that's going to bring it for us. Yeah. I would just like to share that, um, you know, in the class that I took, nearly every person that had had a near-death experience, and thank you for all of these, the NDA, NDE, the STE, and the ADE, that wasn't around when I took the class. This is the first I'd heard of that, but yeah, so interesting to hear about them. But nearly, I mean, they didn't even use a percentage. I think they actually said nearly every single person that had had this experience was disappointed that they returned and would have chosen to stay on the other side. Yeah. The only way I think that I could have returned and been happy about it is if somehow I, I got stuck in that cycle of seeing the bad things I ever did. If somehow I got stuck there and I didn't move beyond there, then I would have been happy to come back. But that, 
that was so quick. It was like a few seconds. It was so quick. Yeah. You know, hearing you talk about your fall from heaven back into earth, I was like, <laughs> whoa, bro, because I have had massively profound spiritual life altering, incredibly hearing healing experiences as a living person and mm -hmm. then have to taper back off that and just go back into like the nine to five and the regular every day. It's brutal. And oh, I'm yeah. like, That's I brutal. can't <laughs> even imagine what you experienced <laughs> in coming back. I was like, wow. I was just like, I can't even touch that. Here's, here's the funny thing back then, 2003, Google wasn't that big. And so I was using ask Jeeves. You probably, you might remember yeah, that, or you yeah. might look that up. Mm -hmm. Ask Jeeves was like a big search engine. And I was looking up on Ask Jeeves, most dangerous jobs of all time. <laughs> and it said underwater welder and it said a crab, king crab fisherman. So I was like, okay, there it is. There's my two possibilities. I'm going to be one of those. It's and, funny. Uh, I yeah. actually knew an underwater welder and I didn't know that that was the most oh, yeah. dangerous job in the world. It's, but it is the most dangerous yeah. job in the world. Yeah. So Vinny, um, in my class, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep going back to this college course, but it was, it was amazing. Um, they did talk about people that, um, a few people that did have a negative experience and it was very mm -hmm. similar to the way that you explained yours. However, I believe that they ended up coming back before they were able to move through it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've talked to on the, this podcast that my grandmother who has passed has offered to take me on a tour of the other side. And I have no, I've, not it's it's taken several years for me to get to a point where I'm like okay I'll I'll go on a glimpse and and when we went we actually walked in first to that little bit of a negative place and I wasn't expecting that and I was like oh hell no back me out you know and I came back through so to hear you speak of that that there is that little bit of a a darker space but that it's necessary and that it's important mm -hmm. for the healing process um that's just made me feel a little braver. You know, Jude's always like, yeah, that's there, but you can get through it. Go for it. You know, but um, hearing you talk about that was very interesting. So um, I, I might just go with her sometime and see well, what she you know, can show me. There's great power in the yin and the yang. And, and the beauty of the yin and the yang is it shows us through our light periods, there's always a remnant piece of darkness. And in our darkest periods, there's always a remnant piece of light. And, and that one side is not necessarily more important the, uh, than the other. And it's the cycle of both of them functioning together where we get the most progress. And so I've learned, and I've actually recently learned this in the last 10 years, that some of my greatest growth is doing my own shadow work, is diving deep into where those scary parts of my own soul are and figure out why they're scary, why I, 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 I chose to be a victim. And I, I say that lovingly, that if you want to believe it, you can. If you don't want to believe it, don't think you have to take my word for it. But before this life, we're given the worksheet of this life. And we say we're allowed to know that if we take on a hard life, we get a lot of progress. If we take on a, an easy life, we don't have hardly any progress. And so some of us that say, oh, why take general ed? We're going to take all the the calculus and the and the quantum physics, and we're going to take all these really hard topics right from the get-go because we feel that's what we're going to gain the most out of college. Well, that's how we are with this life, some of us. We, we, we selected the boxes of the trials we receive, and that's going to be really hard for some people to digest. And, and the reason it's so hard to digest is because they're living 
inside the prism or the paradigm of I'm a victim. But if you can step out of that and say, well, what, what have I gleaned from becoming a victim from this, from whatever obstacle you have in your life? If you step back and think, how am I better because of this? Then you start to understand um, the eternal perspective. You're understanding why you would self-elect to get cancers, have loved ones leave you early. Um, and, and I've even had children who left early come back and in spirit form working with their parent, letting them understand that if they didn't have the tragedy of that child's loss, it wouldn't activated the, the tremendous conqueror energy that comes forth in the surviving uh, parent to go out and make a difference in the world so that this tragedy that happened to their child doesn't happen again. And that without that tragedy, that the child elected to be that tragedy of crossing, to build the warrior parent who comes alive after the fact. And that the world is changed by the good and the bad. And, and sometimes the pendulum of, pendulum of life, um, you know, I, I live in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, for those Hawaiians, I live in Ninth Island. Yeah. <laughs> and and, yeah. and uh, so I'm out here in Las Vegas and we had the October one shooting, which was a random act. Um, and, and there was a lot of death. A lot of people died in this shooting, uh, both on the day of the shooting and a few days after we had a lot of people die. And um, it was a, it was such a tragic thing to witness being who I am. But at the same time, I celebrated every single person who got to go to heaven through that. And since then, I've made amazing friends of one of the victim's parents. And they still are, are working through that process. But I'm telling you, the world is better now because of, of what they've done to make the world better from in the memory of their son. And, and, and also, even the community of Las Vegas, it pulled together and it became this amazing place for years. It took, it took almost five, six years for that to completely uh, wear off and for Vegas to go back to the normal Vegas it was. We were this community where we were pulled together and it took this tragedy to bring us together. So, you know, there's, there's so many silver linings to the worst storms of life. And the after effects are positive. They are. And the important part for us, for us, the, the, the spectator or the, the person inside the virtual nature of this life, for us, the purpose is to see those silver linings, to see and look for those after effects and to always see the silver linings, no matter what storm we are in. And what will happen is when you, you bridge enough of those silver linings, you get a silver day and then a silver month and then a silver year, and then a silver decade. And you get then, then these, these long periods of silver linings become the platinum life. You, you get to have this much higher learning life so that no matter what obstacle comes in front of you, instead of frowning saying, why am I being punished? You grin and say, okay, help me learn what I'm supposed to learn. 
You know, I really appreciate your thorough and clear explanation of that. For me, trying to touch on that over the years and in past episodes, for those of you who have listened, I'm one of those people, and I get it, if somebody who has felt very victimized in their life for to say, oh, well, you chose that, you know, because oh, I was like the last thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the last thing anyone wants to hear. And even for me in my spiritual development, when that message came through to me, I still was just like, instantly wanted to resist this idea that I may have possibly chosen, you know, all oh, the hardships. If somebody said that to me when I was like 19 or 20, I probably totally. would have I would have decked them right there. Yeah, same here. Oh, hell no, no. (laughs) I bet you chose to be punched. (laughs) But but it's true, but it is true. And so there's this delicate way to ease people into that truth. Like, and I can think back through the progress of our own podcast, episode to episode, like when Patty and I first started, it's like, we aren't going to come out the gate hitting hard on some of these topics. We needed to ease people into this, Uh, idea of spirituality and opening them up. And, you know, for most of our listeners who have been on that progress with us uh, to get to those higher truths of our victimhood and seeing the value in darkness, which is also a hard thing for me to convey without sounding like I'm friends with the devil. You know what I mean? It's like, but there is such beauty and such growth and such learning that we can get through the hardest. And as you said, we wouldn't be where we are without all of those experiences. And I think my biggest takeaway on on your principles and your explaining why it is that we need to be so separate from God in order to be in the place of choosing. Because as Mm -hmm. you said, if we are close and we would only wanna choose through the eyes or through the lens of what God's desire is, right? And I was like, oh, I was like that is like, was like a piece that I was missing for myself. Like, I I know the forgetfulness. I know that we are so separate from God and the journey is to find our way back into this knowing of ourselves and our connection and our oneness. And so I really love that. Um, but speaking on the hell piece, you know, and that's another thing, like, ultimately, I don't believe anybody in any sin that they make, you think of the most monstrous people in the world are not kicked out of an opportunity to go and be in the glory and the light of what is beyond. Nobody is withheld from that. Nope. But not, not not externally. The only withholding that happens is within. Within. Exactly. It's it's like if God was the campfire, we only get as close as we feel is okay. And then God's like, come on a little closer. Come on. You can come a little closer. Like God's going to bring us a little closer than we allow ourselves to go. But even even how far, how much further we allow ourselves to go on the grace of God is only going to be a little bit further than what we would allow. So, um, yeah, that's that's how it plays out. When you were, you know, when you were transitioning into that, um, the heaven place and you were in that little window where you were like looking at all of your shortcomings and all of your faults and, you know, kind of beating yourself up and feeling so unworthy. That to me is the only hell that I know. That is yeah. in my perception as a, a, a clairvoyant, and I've actually had an experience where I went to quote unquote hell for an eternity. And, and it's a story I will never share on this podcast. It's a very oh, so profound. You, you, you went I, to I, Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm no, just we, kidding. Love, we love you, Washington, D.C. It's all good. Um, no, but I, I no, did. I meant, I meant in the halls of Congress. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, I, I had a, a spiritual experience where I went to hell hell for an eternity forever okay forever and um i won't tell the whole story here but 
I believe that I went there and the purpose of me going there was so when I landed back on earth, like you said, if, if you had come back to earth from that like little crappy moment you were having before you went to heaven, you would have been like, yay, oh, yeah. this is amazing. Well, for me, yeah. that that's what I experienced. I was like, thank, thank you, you know, to land my feet back on the earthly plane. But what I gathered from that and what, which has helped me in my work is there's, you know, I'm not trying to be too bold, but there's little knocking on wood. And I say this humbly, there's very little in the dark, the dark shadow stuff that will scare me now when you've spent an eternity in a hell reality. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's little that will shake you up. And it gives me this kind of boldness and this eyes to be able to see through the shadow to help people to, to have resistance and resilience and being in those frequencies. But what I learned from my hell experience is that that was actually a projection and a torture of myself, mm-hmm. that that was me torturing myself. And it's a pattern that I see in a lot of people. And in a way, the hell experience we have in our waking life on earth is us always torturing ourselves. We're always self-punishing in a conscious and unconscious way where we do that. And so in your principles of like positive, I love the hour of power. Mm -hmm. I love it. I I unconsciously do that because I, but, but I don't, consciously practice the hour of power but i'm going to bring that more i'm invite i invoke it now i am inviting that in to be more conscious about my first half hour and last half hour um because sometimes i let things leak in once in a while (laughs) but um i don't know this is you have hands down i'm just going to say the most validating testimonial i have ever heard for me in my process and in the lens that i look through and i'm i am so grateful and um you know, and particularly on a personal note, I've been going through a little bit of a challenging emotional thing for the last few weeks. And um, I feel so much clearer and so much better. And I thank you for that. And it's very rare for me to like feel at a loss on how to handle my own energy. And uh, mm-hmm. you you really healed me up in a big way. And I just wanted to let you know that. So- well, I, I, I have a, a high recommendation for your audience. Live as if you're five or 85, like be authentic. And it's, it's so sad that the most authentic kids or people in this world are, you know, five years old or younger, or they're 85 years old or older. It seems like when we get to these extremes of either the very beginning of our life or the very end of our life, we stop caring what the world thinks of us. And what we care about is play. We care about experiencing things and having fun. And it's really quite uh, beautiful to me that the play and having fun of an 85-year-old or a five-year-old is very close to the same. Like both of them are really excited to go get an ice cream cone or just <laughs> or just go on a walk. And, and how beautiful that is that we can ha- live in such a, um, I know we live in a complex society and a complex nature and complex world, but we can find the simple ice cream cones per se of life or the the simple go on a walk of life that can be our joy daily. And it's important for us to find that joy because when we're in a joyful state, it allows our magic wands, which are our thoughts to be very positive. And, and so it is important for us to find joy where we can find it. And I don't mean gratification because gratification and joy are very different. Find joy. And all of us know our joys are for me my joy is my two-year-old really is he loves spider-man and he thinks he's spider-man and and he loves being a two-year-old and and 
his greatest thing is eating an apple and cheese at the same time. He thinks that's so cool. And, you know, uh, it, it's just so, so fun to me to live through the lens of a two-year-old. And to me, that's my joy right now. And as he gets older, we're going to find other joys. But it's important for all of us to find the joy that's around you and seek it daily, every day. Make sure you get yourself a little bit of joy every day. And I don't mean gratification because, you know, playing playing a game on your phone is going to gratify you. Um, hooking up with somebody, gratify you. Um, you know, go out and, and build a lasting relationship. That's going to bring you joy. Go out and help someone, serve someone. That's going to bring you joy. Really care about a kid, care about anybody. It's going to bring you joy. So, you know, go out and find your joys daily. And the more you can do that, the more you're, you're picking up your magic wands in a positive way. And now all of a sudden you're going to wake up to this positive world and realize that this world that you thought was so slanted against you has actually been for you the whole time and that you're the hero of the story. And, and it's time for you to embody that hero nature because the story does end well, no matter what the news says, no matter what they any, anyone says. Because even if you die in a tragic crash, guess what? It ends awesome. It's amazing. And, and I don't care how you cross, whether it's like the most tragic way of dying of being tortured or, or dying in a quick, swift crash. It doesn't matter because on the other end of that is the amazingness of heaven and the love of God. And that even in the worst ways of crossing, we're protected and we're cleansed and we're freed of all that so that we can enter heaven in the, in the most pristine, precious way that we get to enjoy it. And that's what this life is all about. Find joy and, and, and enjoy the crossing one day when it comes. And, and, you know, no matter how it comes. Yeah. I got to say, I'm like you when I find out people cross over, there's like a little bit of me. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> a little jealous. Uh, just because I, I, but I have the gift of seeing it uh, from the earthly yeah. realm. So it's a little bit of a tease, just like you say, you daydream all the time about heaven. Oh, it's yeah. like, there but, was a certain, there was a certain thing that came out and, and I was highly encouraged to do this thing. And my guides were telling me that'll kill you. And I'm like, sweet. How can I get like 10 of them? And, and they're like, don't you dare. We told you it was going to kill you. So don't do it. So I'm like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a whole nother, whole nother responsible nature to, to know when something's going to legitimately help you cross over and, and you're not allowed to do it. You're like, ah, oh, but everyone says I could. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been so fascinating and magical and for me personally, very liberating. And so I just want to thank you very much and congratulate you on your book. And can you... What's the name of your book one more time? Yeah, it's called the the light after death, and uh, they can go. Anybody can go to my website, which is uh, livinggodslight.com. They can purchase it through the site or Amazon. It's on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Um, I also uh, have any any podcast, which will get you listed in there on any podcast or interview I've ever done, um, is there as well. So they can take a look at the the and. That was of, of demand of people that I put them all there so they can find find where they can see all these different podcasts. Yeah, I, I love connecting to people. I love helping people find their own divine nature. And really, that's my purpose on this world now. Um, and, and that's what I do. I help people live in God's light. So that's my website, Living God's Light. Amazing, amazing. Um, 
I'd love to have you on again in the future to talk in more detail about the pearly gates and the, the university yeah, and all that. That'd yeah. Be fun. Cause I'm just curious for myself if like what I've been seeing, cause you would be, you are like, to me, you're like the only person who could potentially validate any of these things that I've been picking <laughs> up over the years. Well, um, what's cool is, is we could uh, have your audience send in uh, questions too, that they may have. And oh, maybe I love we'll that. do a, a follow-up one where we can go over that and plus answer any, you know, Q&A that your audience has. That would be really cool. I love that. I invite that if uh, our listeners want to ask questions about your experience and what you saw on the other side, uh, go on, go on. You can all just start sending them in. And when we got a good pile, we'll, we'll invite you back on, Vinny. This has Sweet. been absolutely incredible. I'm almost speechless and uh, I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for being this platform. Thank you for being that, that reed in the, in the wind that's preventing the erosion. <laughs> thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Patty. Thanks, Judes. Thanks so much, both of you. And, and uh, you know, I want to send my love to your audience and to anybody who hears this. If you agree with me, if you don't, just know that I love you, who you are, and that my creator, my God, my creator loves you as well. And I know that for a fact. So go with that. Go knowing that you are loved by the creator and for sure by me. Love you guys. Bye.